It's the Empowerment Perspective Podcast, hosted by Demiso Josie and Mr. Kareem Spence. Stay empowered. All right, welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Demiso A. Josie alongside... Spence is here. And... Here. <laughs> she doesn't know her name. That's, that's she doesn't really know her name. That's, that's a problem. So we got to get her used to being on as, as a co-host. Um, we're trying yeah. to come up with a segment for Jamie. So if you guys have any suggestions for her, um, we'll de- gladly take them. Um, it could be anything. I don't, I don't, I don't know what her expertise is outside of education. So um, we'll, we'll come up with a segment somehow, shape, form, or fashion for her. But on the last podcast that we had, we did a, a special edition one. Um, involving curbside recovery. Um, I think it was an important topic that we needed to discuss in terms of um, addiction recovery. Um, they're doing some wonderful things out there in South uh, Surfside um, in Ventnor um, with people that are struggling with certain um, substance abuse. Um, Kareem, how'd you feel that that podcast went? I think it was great. I think um, to be able to get two perspectives, one from Ian, you know, who actually went through the program himself and then on to um, study and then be able to be able to come back and help others. And you have Brian, you know, who's your former student, but he, he still was able to, you know, reconcile with his family, you know, and get himself back on the right track. I think that just is awesome. It's an awesome story. Right. Jamie, what did you get out of the uh, podcast? I, it was interesting. Um, I, I love the information that he had, but I also like the fact that he said that that place was only for people who were ready for help. And those that weren't ready had to go. So you go there and you know that that they're there to get you on the right track. I wish we could do that in education, right? If you're ready for yeah. help, we'll help you. If not, you got to go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you want to do like an NFL draft? We can do like a, a lottery where we're just picking out players? That's it, you right? Know, through different type of obstacles. List their attributes and everything down there, and we'll make a decision. Like, you know, you, first up on the clock is, is Miss Roberts' class. His first round pick. Do it that way. Now, but um, that episode was definitely powerful um, and impactful. I probably will release it multiple times because I think you know there's obviously people that are out there struggling, and that's one organization that can definitely help. Um, as I mentioned on that podcast as well, um, just you can even reach out to us. We'll have resources for you and connect you to the right people if that is something that you are willing to do. Um, to me, it all goes back to the why. We talk about the why and having a reason why you're doing what you're doing. Um, so if you go through those type of programs, you have to have a strong enough why to get you through, um, you know, those tough times uh, that will we'll lay ahead. But um, in the beginning of season four, um, started season four talking to a good friend of mine, past friend of mine that we, you know, went to high school together and um, kind of, I guess, reconnected on Facebook and all that stuff. And she has a, a wonderful story. So we started talking about her first uh, adoption situation. And, and I found out in that podcast that there was another story. So I said, we're going to have you come back again and, and tell that story as well. So Laura, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I am wonderful. Going a little stir crazy in here. Um, stuck in the house, uh, but we, we got to do what we got to do. So um, on that first episode of the podcast, you, you spoke specifically about um, one of your, your children and, and that experience. Um, but you said that you have a, a second one as well, correct? Yeah, we spoke about uh, little boy number four. He was my fourth son. And uh, through that experience, I uh, met my little boy number five, my fifth son. Um, at the time, I did not know he would be my son. I was going into it um, strictly looking at him as his foster parent. 
Okay, so um, you, he was a foster child at first, right? And then you went to the adoption process, correct? He was. He was. Um, when they called me, they asked me um, if I was willing to take a foster that they believed would be a few weeks, a few weeks, maybe a month at the max. Got you. And this was from the same place that you um, saw your first one? So uh, my first son, Daniel, was adopted. Um, he lived at where I work, which was a Voorhees pediatric facility. This little boy, um, number five, I'll call him until we get to his name. Um, he, they were going to, funny, they were going to admit him to where I work, um, where I worked. I don't work there anymore. And uh, we were not taking admissions at that stage because we had three patients with the coronavirus. Wait a minute, time out. Oh, this is like now? I thought you, I mean, so I thought we were going back like three, four months ago. You talking about like yesterday. No, this no. was uh, four years ago. So uh, wow. this was a different strain of Corona, but we had three patients with it, um, a different strain. So we were not taking admissions because of that virus in our building. So because we weren't taking admissions, they reached out to me who had just adopted, or was in the process of adopting a child um, through the foster system. I worked there. They knew I wasn't afraid of special needs or anything infectious. So they, on a whim, reached out to me to see if I would foster him. So then you go back through this process again. You know, you go back to your family and your sons again and has this, have this conversation again. Um, I guess explain that process as well. So, okay. So this time around, I didn't ask anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually in the mall. I was in a, a American Eagle returning Christmas gifts. And I answered the phone. It, it said DCPMP. I thought it was some loose end we had to tie up before adoption with Daniel, which was about three weeks away. So I answered the phone. It was my, um, my home resource um, uh, person. And she started asking me a bunch of questions about, um, does this member of the family have this? Does this member of the family have, have that? And I was really confused. I thought maybe she doing some paperwork to get ready for adoption. And then she said, okay, well, the reason why I'm asking you all this is we have this baby um, who is ready to leave the hospital and we don't have anywhere to put this baby. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What are you asking? They're like, well, we're asking if, if you'll take a foster for a few weeks, maybe a month. And I said, uh, no, I don't, don't want to be a foster parent. You know, I became a foster parent for Daniel because I knew it was an open and closed case. I knew that I was going to foster him for the time period that I was supposed to foster him legally before we started the adoption process. And it was an open and shut. I was going to be his mom. You know, I wouldn't have to deal with back and forth and, and all that. And then she said, no, really? And I stopped for one second. And I said, in my own mind, I said, if someone would have said yes, when they got the phone call about my son, Daniel, then he would not have had to um, go through two heart surgeries completely by himself. He wouldn't have had to go through all the other trials and tribulations of living in a hospital for two years by himself with no one to love him. So I said, you know what? I take that back. You said it's temporary. She said, yep, it's temporary. I said, okay, bring the baby over. At this point in time, I didn't know the sex. I didn't know the weight. I didn't know anything other than there was a baby coming over that was leaving the hospital. Green, you look like you have a, a perplexed look on your face the whole time <laughs> she was talking. 
I, well, I, I got, you know I'm petty, right? So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure if I would have seen the call and I didn't want to answer, I would have went right to Cinnabon and just like swipe right and not even pick up the phone. I can tell you that now, because she's Jamie's shaking her head like, no, well, yeah, that's just the real. This, this is, this is who I am. I'm going to swipe right. Um, give me a Cinnabon, and not going to think two things about it. Or if I do start to feel bad, I'm gonna get a double Cinnabon, double Cinnabon with extra icing <laughs> to cure me feeling bad. Something wrong with you, man. Something really wrong with you. Um, so, Laura, I, I want to get to, um, I guess. The, the reason why um, you're, I wouldn't say for lack of a better word, your heart is so big. Like, where did that come from? Have, it, have you always been that way um, in terms of wanting to care for people? Uh, so I, I've always considered myself the same person I am now. Um, I, and I don't look at myself as having a big heart. I just kind of look at myself as something that I would expect anybody. Um, I, you mm. know, that's a little naive, but um, it's just who I am. Um, so I guess, yeah, I've always been that way. Kareem's not doing that. I'm telling you that. Right <laughs> no, I am not. Listen, so, I'm going to give me a Cinnabon and maybe a pretzel. I'm not acting like the phone call never came through. So without without getting into any specifics or names, my um, a family member of mine um, was in a car accident, and a very young member of our family was disabled due to that car accident. And um, I think that opens my heart to the um, field of anything special needs um, and that these children and adults and individuals um, deserve just as much kindness, uh, love and caring as the rest of us. And because these little ones have something that's not perfect about them, everybody passes them by and that's unacceptable to me. Gotcha. Talk about the dynamics of the family uh, unit when he first came home to to live with you guys. Um, I know you expressed in the, the first one that everyone had open arms and things of that nature. Was it the same experience with this one as well? It was not. Um, so I pretty much just said, let's do that. I, I, let's do this. I'm your tool. I'm going to do what you need me to do. Um, and didn't really ask anybody. So everybody kind of came home from work and school and everything they were doing and saw this baby, this tiny five, five pound baby and wanted to know what I was doing. And I just said, you know, this is we're, we're fostering this baby. And then the question started, well, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm attached to this child and it's going to go away. And these were my boys. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't even want to hold them. I don't want to look at him. I don't, you know, it, this is all you because I can't, I can't get attached to this baby and then it goes away. So the first few weeks were interesting, let's put it that way. Um, and then slowly but surely, um, you saw the hearts in my um, boys come out and I would come home from work and they'd be snuggling, they, the baby would be sleeping on their chest. And, you know, it was, I had my, my older son, Rhett, who's 20 now, he was Googling how to help a newborn through um, uh withdrawal drug withdrawal because he was withdrawing as well so he you know they all started to slowly take to him but we i think all of us were a little guarded still knowing that he could he could go back to where he came from as quickly as he came it's really interesting um so now that your son is, is in the house um obviously there's some some medical concerns and, and things of that nature um was the birth parents 
involved as much as the other one or not at all? They were. Um, they're drug addicts um, and uh, not a very good living condition. So um, he wasn't going to live back with them at that point in time, but they were permitted to go to any doctor's appointment that um, he had. And what life did not disclose to me when I was taking into these doctor's appointments is that I pretty much was being fed to the wolves when I walked in to the doctor's appointment and there's four members, five members of this child's family there and just me, um, you know, walked up, took the baby carrier from me, walked away. It was like, I'm kind of fending for myself there. Um, so that only happened for the first few doctor's appointments and then it got old. So they were involved, um, but they didn't want to uphold their end of the bargain to get him back, which was um, drug counseling, um, in-house rehab. Gotcha. I was trying to figure out what the, the point of them doing that. I mean, it obviously got, you got them back. Right. And, and I don't understand um, what their purpose was. Um, my assumption is that the baby probably got was taken away from them because of the situation, and that's why the baby was in that situation. Yeah. Um, so mom tested positive for a lot of drugs at a six-month um, doctor's appointment, and um, diapers was immediately called in. Child wasn't born yet. Um, at seven months, we were more positive for, for drugs, and it kind of went on like that. Um, every appointment she went to, she was tested, and... It was continuously not a good situation. So um, Dyfus knew as soon as the child was born that, that they were involved. That's crazy. Very interesting. I mean, my thought process would be to, um, okay, let, well, let's, let's arrest this woman so that she can dry out in jail while she finishes out her pregnancy. But that didn't happen. Um, so, I mean, there's nothing I can do about that. So, Misa, we, we talked about it, you know, the last pod, podcast, and we talked about the ego. And a lot of times when you have parents that are looking at Laura, she to blame. Like, she's a problem. Like, it's her fault that the baby is no longer in the home. Not taking responsibility or even being accountable for the things that they've done from probably three months all the way through the birth. So, if the mother would have did what she was supposed to do, which was to follow every step that Dyfus was asking her to take, which is to get the counseling and be able to stay clean, then it's a possibility that they could have been able to keep the baby. But yep. because they let their ego get the best of them and they thought that, you know, this can't happen to me or anybody going to take my baby, you know, being petty, like, anybody going to take my baby. Now <laughs> what happens is that, you know, they, they are causing so much harm to the particular baby or baby father. Yeah. That's true. Um, it's one of the hardest things, I guess, in life for people to do is admit that they're wrong and try to fix, you know, the, the mm -hmm. thing, whatever it is that they did was wrong. Um, that very first doctor's appointment that I walked into all this family member, the grandmother walked up and stuck her finger right on my nose. And she said, I just want you to know that we're not happy about this. And I said, I'm sorry. And she said, we're not mm. happy about this. I said, well, who's we? And she said, the family we can't stand that you have our baby and you don't know what you're doing. And I said, um, well, listen, I said, I apologize that you're going through the situation. I said, but all I am is the person that said, yes, I'll help. That's it. I'm just here to help. So I know it's rules when it comes to like being respectable to like elderly and kids, 
but I don't know if I have it in me for somebody to walk up and take their finger and put it on my nose and me for not to respond. See, I, I don't know if I'm built like that. Laura's built like that. I don't know if I'm built like that. I just may lose it and you may be all out brawl inside the doctor's office. You don't remember that time that a certain administrator had his finger in your face when <laughs> telling you that you need to go to this meeting? <laughs> Man, listen, it was tough. Like it, it took, you know, three or four bottles of poppy wine to be able to get my mind right. But it, 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 it was tough. That's not an easy thing. It's, oof, it's tough. I don't know how Laura got to that appointment. And three more like it? I don't know. Jamie, you think he, he would be able to walk away from it? Well, he's all about the money. So if it messes up the money, then he doesn't want to be a part of it. Uh-oh. We, we started getting personal already. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not going to mess up the money, but, but, but man, to have somebody walk up and like take their finger. You don't know where the finger been all day and just put it on your nose? Like right now and today, you get the Rona. What the magnitude you get the Rona if somebody touches you like that? There's something wrong with you. Something is definitely is. So uh, going through that particular situation, Larry, what was it within you that prevented you from losing it? And and because I know yeah. I had to do the same thing. Um. So from the time that the baby was dropped off at my house and till probably I'm going to say about six months, six months into it, I looked at the whole situation as this is my job. Um, and everybody was like, well, that's, you know, how are you being a mother to this child? And I said, well, if my job is to mother a child and do it with all the love I can, then I'm going to do my job the best way I can. So I just went to it thinking I'm at work right now and I can't throw punches at work. So I'm just going to back up a little bit and just say, hey, I'm sorry you're going through this, but I'm just here to help. So how did you find out? No, no, no. I'm just thinking I might be on the phone like and, and call my, my spouse. Play, listen, I need you to come so we can pop the trunk. I may have just told her, listen, you touch me again, I'm going to pop the trunk. And everybody knows what that means. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the views and opinions of Kareem Spence does not directly reflect the empowerment perspective. We need to throw that out there. Um, Laura, I want to I know that you talked about your your sons and their feeling about it, but I'm sure that there's other people that were questioning your decision. Like, how did you quiet the noise? Because I know that um, there's always people that are going to be critics and you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. What was it? I guess the mental process for you in terms of quieting the, the, the outside noise. Um, well, I've never been someone who cares much about um, negative opinions. Um, so that helped. <laughs> it's in my personality. But you do have a lot of haters. You have them come up and say, oh, why would you take someone else's problem? And these are people that worked in the medical field, in the special needs medical field. Why would you take someone else's problem? Why, why, would, you, um, why would you do that? Oh, you're just doing this because you're getting paid to do it. Well, listen, my family grew up, so yes, I'm being compensated for that. Anybody who knows anything about DCPMP knows that you do get a stipend for each child. That stipend goes towards the child. That doesn't go for like, you know, my new car or a new house. It goes to make sure that child is clothed and happy and healthy and has their car seat and their strollers and anything that they need. So my comment to everyone was, listen, um, I'm just doing this because this child needs someone to love them. That's it. And if you don't understand that, then you need to go sit in the corner and soul search for a little bit. 
Right now, Kareem, in our profession, uh, mm -hmm. when we talk about uh, state agencies, a lot of parents have a negative opinion of it. Um, and, and there's times I've towed the line in my position, too, and where someone might want to call the state division because of neglect or abuse and type of those, those type of things. And I'm always kind of back and forth just because of the perception that a lot of people have um, of that agency. Um, I guess, how can we change the narrative to seeing it as something that's beneficial as, as opposed to something that is considered a negative thing? I think really the best way is for those that actually had to go through that process is to be able to speak out more um, and be able to tell their side of the story on how it actually helped them long term to be able to go from <clears throat> being in a situation that is not good, either abuse or neglect, and be able to come through it on the other side, saying that this is probably the best thing that happened for me, as well as for the parent to actually say that, you know what, this is the best thing at this particular time that was going to help my son and daughter. because. In reality, it should be all about the children. That's what the focus should be on. It's not about the adults and their ego. You want to always put a child in the best possible environment so they can grow and develop. Because if not, they're going to have all type of psychological issues that many can't come back from. But to answer your question again, I think more people who actually had to go through the system need to speak out because there are great stories, great mm -hmm. stories for people that went through that process, even with adoption, and went on to do some amazing things with their lives. Got you. Um, Jamie, how you feel about the, I guess, the negative stick, the stigma behind um, the state agencies and, and the work and some people viewing it as um, you're, you're taking the children away from their, their families? That's hard. Um, I think that we forget that our responsibility is to take care of children. They can't fend for themselves. So if you see something wrong, and you don't try to make it right, then you're almost accountable for whatever it is that, that child's going through. So you have to put your own ego aside and step in when you see that something's happening that you know is not right. Right, so I'm gonna take a, a sort of a sidebar here within the same vein. Um, there's times in my profession where, you know, staff will say, I'm gonna go call DCCMP because the child's being uh, abused or whatever. From a cultural standpoint, sometimes I struggle with that because um, I grew up in an environment where you did get beat and you know, certain things were said to you. And I'm, I have to figure out, is this really uh, a situation where they need to be involved in it? Or is this just something that is a, a more of a cultural thing and the kids still, you know, still got clothes, food and all those things on there? Um, I guess start with you, Kareem. How could, what, what's your percep perception of, I guess, that that moment when you we have to make a decision? Well, do I make this call or don't I make this call? So if we're if we're talking about abuse, um, one of the first steps that I'll take is actually have one of our nurses uh, be able to look at the student to determine whether or not if it was actually caused by something other than a hand. Um, at no time does DIFUS ever want to remove or break up a family. That's not what they're there for. They're there to actually to support a family. So before I even consider whether or not if I'm going to make that phone call, because there's no coming back from it, um, I'm definitely going to make sure that there's clear, like without a doubt, that this child has actually been physically abused. Um, the emotional abuse, that's something that nurses can't look at. And that actually has to come, you know, from that particular student. Um, so for me, I'm going to have a conversation with the student. I'm going to have a conversation with the nurses and I'm going to make a determination of whether or not the call is going to be made. A lot of times calls aren't warranted. A lot of times you can actually pick up the phone and call a parent 
and be like, hey, listen, this is what's happening. And then for me, what I tell them is that if I, if I hear about it again, then I'm going to have no other choice but to make the call. So I don't want you questioning my teachers. Don't question my administrators. I'm telling you that I'm going to call myself. If you have any other questions, you can actually ask me. Right, right. And I, I guess one of the frustrating things I hear all the time is um, I'm making a call that way we're covered. I'm like, all right, are you making a call because we're covered? Or are you making this call because you truly believe that this child is being neglected? Um, and you want to make sure that when you get DCPP involved, that they actually are going to go to the home regardless. Rather, is a, a verified mental abuse or verified physical abuse or neglect, they have to go out. It's, it's going to be mandatory. There's no if and or buts about it. But you want to make sure that you keep that relationship with that parent. You don't want to feel as though that or a parent to feel as though that what you're doing is something like punishable because the kid came to school and said that, you know what, my mom beat me because, I don't know, I left a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the chair and you sat down. So that that's a real story that happened to me. I got popped for that. <laughs> of course it did. <laughs> <laughs> it's so rolling, man. It is. Uh, Jamie, but, from a teacher standpoint, um, I'm sure you probably came across a similar situation. Like what was the determining factor whether you made that call or not? Or did you go to the guidance counselor and kind of talk to it, or administrator and kind of talk through it before you made that call if you were ever in that situation? So when we're in those situations, I generally talk to child study team um, because of the, the students that I teach. And you just have to, the question is, are you calling because you think that they're going to step in and make something better in the home? Or is this something again that you can just call the parent yourself and try to figure it out? Once you make the call, I mean, nine times out of 10, the parent's going to come back at you anyway, because they're going to assume that someone from the school called. So you mm -hmm. have to make sure that whatever you're seeing is actually warranting a phone call. Yeah, I get that. From an administrator's standpoint, I get those calls all the time. It's, it's an anonymous call. They know mm -hmm. who called, and I'm the one. I got to sit there and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, but, but here's the trick, right? They make you believe that it's an anonymous call, but anytime you call Spru, you have to give your name, you have to give the school, mm -hmm. and you have to give certain other identifiable thing. Now, when the case where it goes out, I'm like, yeah, the call came from the school, and they would be blatantly and honest and tell the parent where the call came from. So yeah. that's why it's always in the best interest to have that conversation with the parent. So it'd be no questions. That is true. I mean, I guess the tricky line is you call the parent, they get upset, go, kid goes home, and gets abused or whatever. I guess that's what's the rationale between uh, behind all of that. For me, I, I don't know. I, there's hopefully more than one parent that you can have a conversation with. Like you mm -hmm. know, it is saying that the father's doing it, and call the mother and say that this is what's being reported, and you know, vice versa mm -hmm. type. But getting ahead of it, I think it is important. Um, but it's just a tricky, I guess, line to to toe, um, mm -hmm. based upon your job and. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and versus what you really feel is, is right. Um, there's but, a lot. Uh, now, Miso, if I can chime in for a second. Now, on the other side, when you just talk about neglect and, you know, some parents will be thankful that you actually had the resources to connect them with the agency because, again, they may not have food in the house. She may not or he may not have a clue of how he's going to put food on the table. Diapers mm -hmm. come through within, you know, 24 hours and make sure you got a refrigerator full of food or whatever it is that you may need in your house. Rather, it's clothes, uh, rather, it's bedding. I remember one time um, they actually bought somebody air conditioning because they have a baby. And in the summertime, when it gets extremely hot, they said, you know what? You need to have this in order for this baby to be able to be in a com comfortable environment. Mm 
So a lot of times the agencies and what they can do is far more on what the schools can do. Right. I just think we need to change the perspective of what these agencies do. I think get, they get a bad rap. I think there's a negative connotation mm -hmm. always tied to it. Um, because, I mean, in the reality of the situations, there are situations, obviously, where families are separated, but it's not, they're just not randomly doing it. Like, there's obviously a, an issue there of neglect, safety, and all that stuff mm -hmm. uh, going on with that. So, Laura, I want to go back to you. Um, so, how's things now, uh, now that everything and everyone's kind of settled and um, in, 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 in their place with, with you and your family in regards to, uh, I guess, the transition, I guess you could say? So everything's good. I mean, fast forward four years because we were in the um, foster care system for just about three with um, his name is Chase. Um, I did rename him. Um, I had him as an infant and I always called him Jay, which was a shortened form of his given name by his um, birth mother and father. Um, so I kind of, again, shortened it further. And his name is Jace, um, middle name Noah. Um, so everything's good. He is a little fighter. He is pushing through everything that he, I was told medically he would not push through. So um, it wasn't an easy three years. Um, the birth parents, although they didn't want to do what they had to do to get him back, um, they did try every angle to fight for him. Um, and that was, you know, get this parent involved and then that uncle or aunt involved and in a long story short, nobody checked out um, legally or um, background check wise. Um, nobody checked out um, to be able to take them home. Um, where I am with both of my children, I thought it is um, uh, at the end, both parents um, on both sets of children um, voluntarily um, turned over their parental rights to me. Um, which means basically um, they named me as a person that they wanted to be their child's mother. Um, I, we, it was a court mediation that the, these both happened at. And I told both parents on years apart, I said, this is not, I did not birth this child. I have this child through you. Um, you created this child. You birthed this child. It's not my place to to take him from you. It's my place to raise him and be his mother. Um, so I have not excluded either parent, either of the four parents from these children's lives. Um, obviously they know that they were, these children were removed from them for a reason. So they will never ever be um, with the birth parents without me present. I will always be supervised. But I send them pictures all the time. Um, they're allowed to have uh, Skype chats with these kids. Um, we'll go out and have dinner at Chuck E. Cheese's together so that they can know the children that they gave birth to. Um, uh, basically, the rules are we are not going to confuse these children. Um, and I have told both from day one that mommy adopted you. Um, I'm your adopted mom. You have someone who carried you in their belly and gave birth to you. And this is that person. This is Sally, fake name, obviously. Um, this person gave birth to you, but I'm your mommy and I'm going to raise you. So they know that I'm not going to have an 18-year-old look at me someday and know that I lied to them their whole life. These children will know they're adopted. The baby, the little guy, I don't know that cognitively he'll get there and understand what that is. Um, but he surprises me daily, so you never know. 
<laughs> yes. Um, any before we switch gears a little bit and have a little bit of fun on here, any last words of, of advice for any parents that are out there that are looking to adopt someone? Um, well, I said in the first one to follow your heart. Um, if you have a nagging feeling that you want to do something, uh, look into it. Um, that's where this all started with me. Um, I was dead set against adoption, but, um, obviously my thoughts were changed where that was concerned. Um, and special needs field is not scary. It's, it's a lot of work, but it's not scary. And, um, every child deserves to have your heart. Jamie, you're shaking your head over there. I feel like that's kind of in your wheelhouse because you, you teach those that population of students as well. Um, why did you decide to go into special education? I just think that in special ed, I mean, when you teach regular ed and you teach the same lesson and you hope that everyone in the classroom gets what you're teaching, but when you are in special ed and they finally get that one thing that you maybe spent a whole month on, it's just so rewarding. It's, it's a different feeling. Gotcha, gotcha. I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, I, Laura, I think you're doing some wonderful things down there, and I think you're able to um, give, obviously, these these children a, a loving home, and you really care for them. And what you're doing is giving them a chance at life, um, and a, a huge chance. So shout out to you for that and, and all the work that you're doing um, down uh, with your family. Um, would you consider adopting more? Um, I would. Um... You know, I, my thing is, uh, actually, I almost did, but then I just talked to my best friend and she adopted. <laughs> but, I, but I mean, with me, it's I just I really honestly just follow my heart. I just, you know, this morning, getting back to something uh, Jamie said with teaching, my Jace, he walked to the refrigerator, which unfortunately, I left the gate open to the kitchen, which is a no, no. He opens the refrigerator door and he pulls out an egg and he holds it up and he goes, egg. This is a child who has polymicrogyria. The right frontal lobe of his brain is deformed. But yet he picked up an egg and he communicated to me that that was an egg. And I'm like, they told me you'd never say one word. And cognitively, you would never know how to communicate with me. Four years old and you're doing it. So, yeah, I would. I would. Would you ever consider adopting Kareem? Because he has some, some problems. I, got, I, need, I do need some love. And I need some free eggs at this point, too. I don't know about adults. I haven't tried that part yet. But <laughs> He's a special case for sure. I don't know. Oh, absolutely. You got to dig, you gotta dig deep into your heart and, and find that little soft spot that you have for somebody that needs some eggs. Preferably scrambled with cheese with some toast. <laughs> too. This is a hard boiled though. <laughs> That's funny. So we're gonna on this point of the podcast, we like to switch gears. So I'm gonna turn it over to Kareem. He's gonna ask this infamous question of you. Okay. Well, I have actually this is going to be a really complex question. Sure. Are are you allowed to go anywhere by yourself now? Because I know that if I came home and there was a new baby, first of all, I feel like something happened like I was in a time warp. I would look around <laughs> make sure this is my house because there's no way that I went to work eight hours ago and I come home with a new baby. Something must have happened. I must have missed something. Are you allowed to go anywhere by yourself? So um, I okay. am a single mother um, mm -hmm. and I am permitted to go anywhere I want by myself as long as I have a babysitter. <laughs> mm. I don't know about that. I don't know. 
be tough. I'm not, even from the kids, the kids may not allow you to go anywhere because again, they oh, go to yeah. school, they come home as a new baby. Like, wait, wait, no, this is not happening again. Yeah, well, the boys are really, um, they're really loving to the the babies. They, I call them little moms. My uh, mm. my biological children that I birth, they're little moms. When Daniel started school and he got on the school bus, obviously he was on the short bus. Um, but they, my boys would literally walk him onto the school bus, put him down, buckle his seatbelt, and then walk off the bus. And the bus drivers were like blown away. I'm like, what do you mean? Mm. That these are the they're and they said they're little moms. They dote over these children. They make sure they're okay. They make sure you know they're comfortable on the bus. My uh, now seven year old, he threw up on himself on the bus one day. And my son walked right on the bus, picked him up, coddled him. He's getting puke mm, over him. Mm, too. Mm, and no. <laughs> it was, they, they just really are all for what these children do. We're going to get you a blanket or something. And you can't touch me. I, I just can't like have like mucus for me. It just, it's yeah. just it takes me back to a place. Mm, no, uh -uh. we got to get you a poncho. We're going to put this poncho on you and... <laughs> I need you to walk in front of me just to make sure that I keep my eye on you. Now they're, they're really good. Boys are good. Mom, you need to run to the store. Go ahead. Go run to the store. So should I be feeling some kind of way that my older brothers didn't walk me on the bus and make sure I was okay? You absolutely should. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know, but it's that special kind of tough love that you need, like from an older brother, like when he takes you to the rec program at, at three o'clock and say, I'll be back. And it's like five o'clock. Ain't nobody there. It's nobody. a special kind of love. You have to start fending for yourself. <laughs> so, but Laura, so would you consider yourself as being, where did she go? She, did she? Uh, she oh, would you consider yourself as being petty? Oh yeah. I can see that. That's awesome. So do you get mad at your friends when you like have to like hang out with the, with the kids at the park and they can't, they don't want to go with you. You get mad at them. Like, what you mean you don't want to go to the park? This is what we do. No, I just tell them we can bring wine in our sippy cups. Oh, you about to have them kids taking. You know, I'm a <laughs> mandatory reporter. I may have to call and let them know. Unless you're yeah, drinking poppy wine. Are you drinking? What kind of wine are you drinking? You got, what you, what you drinking? Moscato? What kind of wine are you drinking? You look no, like no, a Moscato type of person. Dry red. Mm -hmm. No Moscato. I'm a dry red. Dry red. Huh. I'm an Italian okay. woman. I was brought up on homemade Dago Red. If it's not dry, I don't like it. Mm. What do kind of wine, wine tastes like Kool Aid? Do I like Kool Aid? No, so the wine tastes like Kool Aid. It tastes good. No, no, no. That's not real wine. <laughs> oh, Jamie, what kind of wine were you drinking the other day? <laughs> I, I don't know where or with who. I just said, what kind of wine were you drinking? Um, it was actually white. I can't even. I can't even remember the name. I knew it at the beginning of the night, but I couldn't remember it. You drink that much wine that you don't. Remember. <laughs> we're in a tough time. We're in a tough time right now, and drinking a whole bottle of wine by itself is not a bad thing anymore. It used to be no. frowned upon, but now mm -mm, it's normal. I, I said I was a foster parent, and I love these children. I didn't say I was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that is too funny. Now I agree with you. Well, a bottle of wine is not that bad anymore. No. Mm -hmm. I don't, you got a problem. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, we're going to wrap this podcast up. Laurie, definitely thank you for spending the afternoon with us again, part two. 
um, as I mentioned before, you know, continue to do the wonderful work that you're doing, not only as a mother, but as an educator. Um, never really got into why you chose to become an educator. So I, I guess I can ask and we'll, we'll end with that kind of question. Like, why did you try so, to do that? Um, what I have done through the course, Daniel, Daniel's pretty solid. He has a heart condition and ADHD, but he's pretty solid cognitively and, and you know, everything's going going good for him education wise. But Jay, I knew going into Jay um, that he he was gonna need a little extra with everything. Um, so I had him for three months. Um, I marched down to our rehab department in VPF and I asked them, you know, what I needed to do to help this child. And lo and behold, the director said, I have a position opening up. Do you want to come down? So I scooted on down to rehab and I picked and probed the minds of our therapists on how to help Jay develop and grow, um, not only with his therapist, but how can I help him at home when he's not doing therapy? So then Jay started school and I said, hmm, and I got an autistic, an autism diagnosis right before he started school. And I kind of went back to, okay, well, how can I help him? Hmm. Hold on, there's a position opening up around the corner at Kingsway Learning Center. Let me just go, you know, let me, and the hours are great for school-aged children because now I'm going to be there to put them on the bus and get them off the bus. I'll be home when they're on holidays and everything. So I went down the Kingsway and um, now I'm in a classroom where we're, I'm learning how to teach a child with autism. Mm. So I kind of have just moved with Jay and with when, when he is at that developmental milestone, I've kind of started to move with him where I can help him grow as best I can. It might sound a little strange, but you know, just pick a profession and stick with it, Lara. But I just kind of feel like I'm able to help him better with being in the know and being in that environment and, and working on it hand in hand every day, it's so much easier to bring it right home and just continue going through it with, with Jay while we're home. I think you picked a, a lifestyle and a purpose and shaped your career around that, which uh, I think is, is a, a very powerful thing to, to do. And some things that we always talk about on our podcast. And uh, again, it goes back to the why. And, and, and really defining the reason why you do certain things. And then once you have that why in place, then everything mm -hmm. else uh, revolves around that, those type of things. So I wish more, more people would do that with their careers instead of letting their careers kind of drive and dictate their lifestyles and the things that they're, they're into. My passion is my children. So however I can help them grow is where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Jamie, any last words for, let's say any advice for any, um, teachers that are interested into uh, teaching special education? Special ed is definitely a good uh, certification to have now. Um, and it's just, you know, it's it's not the, the day by day things that you're going to see. It's what you see in two weeks, in a month. It's just very rewarding. It's something that I would definitely recommend um, teachers trying. Awesome. Spence, any last words? Yes. Um, if you guys are looking for me to adopt, don't work. All my calls are being forwarded to Laura. Um, so she can have as many as she like. She definitely has a heart for this. Um, don't call me because, um, again, I'm not going to the park. I'm, I'm done coaching. I don't want anything to do except if it's going to be poppy wine. That's about it. That's the only thing I'm doing right now in 2020. It's all about the poppy wine. It's all poppy wine. Shout out to poppy wine. For, hopefully we get a sponsorship out of this. We've been mentioning you a lot on this podcast. Well, Kareem, I should say that. 
Eventually, if we've mentioned it enough, they're going to recognize that you know, somebody's actually out there drinking this wine. We need to sponsor them. <laughs> where is it from? You need to look at the bottle and see where it's from. Chili. Now, see, listen, this is, this is exactly why is exactly why she don't remember nothing. She can't remember exactly what kind of wine she had, but she knows exactly where it came from. She may have a glass right in front of her, right? She probably has a bottle as we speak, just looking at it. <laughs> that was pretty impressive. There was no hesitation or nothing. No. She, like, <laughs> she didn't have to Google or nothing. She's like, yeah, Chili, that's where it's from. That's too funny. <laughs> Why these fools go and drink the rest of their wine? <laughs> what <is> giving- <laughs> Everybody that's been following us, we've been putting a lot of uh, content out recently um, because we have nothing else to do. So we figured we'd give you more information on a v- variety of topics. Um, we don't forget uh, we had our uh, Nicole Simone and in, uh, about her ed- 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 words, her exercise program for when you are stuck in the house. Um, so that's out there. We'll be dropping actually before this podcast. So you should, if you're watching this, you should go back and watch and then take a look at that. Um, mm-hmm. We're talking to um, a bunch of authors coming up soon, um, some other motivational speakers coming out. Um, so, you know, we're just going to keep grinding and doing our thing. And again, now's the time for you to plan, make your assessments, prepare for the back end of this thing um, because, you know, the, the world's going to change, but there's going to be a lot of opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to figure out uh, what your gift is and try to apply it in, in a groove that you um, see fit. So until next time, stay in power.